Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is doing what she does best. As a young girl, she was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now, listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open. I am so excited to welcome Elaine to the show. Uh, today's myth that she's going to be talking about is family finances should be managed and controlled by one person, which is really an interesting myth um, that I look forward to exploring with her. Um, but before we do, let me just tell you a little bit about my friend Elaine King. Uh, she's a family business advisor and certified financial planner. Um, she basically um, is somebody that I met wow, it's probably almost 10 years ago. It was a while ago at a women's conference down in Miami. And we connected then when we both had our uh, first books out uh, and then have managed to stay in contact ever since. Um, Elaine is considered an expert in the international family financial planning uh, industry. She's an ambassador for the CFP program of standards. She's also the founder and president of Family Money Matters. And their mission is to empower families, human and financial capital to achieve financial well-being together. She's the author of an internationally best-selling book. She's the winner of a Best uh, Latino Award from Penguin Random House, so no small publisher there. And she also wrote uh, the first book in Latin America to teach children about the value of planning. So please welcome Elaine to the show. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for having me. And yeah, I remember that day like it was yesterday, 10 years ago. You really impressed me when you were talking about women and wealth. And then the rest is history. We, we've managed very well, thanks to you also, to stay in touch. So I'm happy and I congratulate you for having this great podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and it's always fun to see you in person and then play every once in a while like this on the podcast. So, um, you know, tell me a little bit about why you picked this myth that uh, finances shouldn't be managed by one person. Tell Tell the audience a little bit about why... Um, that's something that you wanted to talk about today. Yeah, well, in my 18 years of, of uh, career working with families, I've always noticed, and this is how I started, and everybody does that, you know, you always work with one person in the family. And that one person feels that, that the weight is on their shoulders and they have to have control and they need to know everything. But the more and more you learn about this, one CFO, I would say, the more you you understand that it's it's not it doesn't need to be that way because it's hard to control all the members in the family. Everybody has their own personality. Everybody has their own objectives. So the myth is that you need to have control over your family's finances, and the reality is you don't. Um, the more you involve the members, the more control you have. Um, it 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 works almost the opposite way, and I and I can show you some examples to prove that. 
Sure. It, you know what? Before we get into how it doesn't work, because often myths, um, the reason they're called myths is they're falsehoods and, and they don't work in general. However, often there's a little slice of truth or there's a way in which a myth can serve somebody. And so I'm wondering, before we go into kind of how this doesn't work, is there any way in which you've seen over the course of your great career where having one person control the family finances actually um, works and, and it serves somebody, even if it's just in the short run? Well, when there's like a single mother or the other partner just completely um, says, I'm not good with numbers, you take care of it. Um, so it's in denial, basically, um, a single parent, a widow, a, um, just an expectation from the beginning. So that's, that's where I've seen it, that, that it's worked. Um, now how effectively, I don't know. I can tell you more about that, but, (laughs) uh, I've seen it. I've seen it. Um, I've seen it work when the other spouse is completely, um, giving or, um, I guess giving up of the the word finances that's where i see it okay so so if you're in a system and either obviously if there's one person then they'd be controlling it themselves but if you're in a system where um uh, you're in a couple and the couple one of the members really has relinquished control which both you and i know is not the greatest decision but it does happen um then you can see it working now before we go into how it doesn't work i I just want to remind everybody um that one of the things that i feel very passionately about is something I call the couple's revolution. And in that, I think the industry, the financial services industry, needs to work more effectively with couples and families and include more members in the conversation. So that's where certainly Elaine and I, I think, agree. And so tell the audience a little bit, Elaine, as to why you think this myth doesn't work. And maybe give us some examples about some of the work that you've done um, that's been evidence of of how this uh, sharing the responsibility can actually... uh, realize a family a better ROI or return on investment? Um, Absolutely. So one of the statistics and um, that I hear often is, uh, as you know, half of the marriages end up in divorce, um, or or some some kind of that number. And then 75% of the time is because of miscommunication and finances. And I'm a true believer that a couple gets together for a reason. And the couples have all their strengths and weaknesses. And when they get in the table or the, they sit in the table or the couch, wherever they want to sit, um, and they have the time to identify those strengths and weaknesses, that's when the couple stays together longer and stronger. Also, there's one statistic that shows that opposites attract, not only on um, physically or personality-wise, but also on financial um, personality. So a saver is meant to be attracted to a spender and a spender to a saver. And I'm a perfect example. I got married to a spender. Um, I was a saver since I was age four <laughs> when, my dad, when my dad gave me my first dollar and said, Elaine, you can save 50 cents and, you know, buy a luggage when you grow up uh, and you can travel the world. Or you could spend it all in candy and you have nothing to prove to it. So he, he, I don't know what he did, but he put this, uh, you know, um, pile of information in my little brain when I was growing up. (laughs) 
So that's why I'm saying that, you know, couples have strengths and weaknesses. Well, and I think what you're talking about with your father is is you probably were born with a money temperament of being a saver. I kind of think it's a combination of like we have a tendency to lean one way or another, and then the parent uh, influences that and works with that. And so you may have at four had a natural saving instincts, but then dad kind of uh, did a nice job of letting you know what you could do if you didn't spend it all on candy. So I, lo- I love that story. Um, now, if you're working with a couple or somebody's listening in today that's a member of a couple and they say, you know, I really do want to collaborate on my finances. I don't want to control the family finances. I want support. What recommendations do you have for them um, getting this other person or these other people, if it's a, it's a bigger family, uh, on board and uh, participating? Well, the easiest way to do it, um, Kathleen, is to have a, a common goal. And most of the time, it, it cannot affect it cannot affect either party. Like, for example, the, the best way to get a couple together is for the common good of something that doesn't pertain to either of them. So if they have kids, for the, for the children's education. If, if, if they don't have kids, then to help the community. Something that, um, that is away from their own personal um, gain. And it could, it doesn't need to be investing a lot of money. It could be just, let's do an activity together. So when you do an activity together for the better of a third party, that's when you start learning as a couple what your strengths and weaknesses are. And it goes to the family because we were talking about family at the beginning. If you involve the children, the more you involve them, the better they'll be in, in trying to fit that that objective in the family. So for example, another example is plan a vacation together. So the kids may not have a lot of money, but they can participate with a percentage of their salary. I mean, their allowance if they get one. And then if the mom or the dad is a stay at home mom and dad, maybe they can participate with their time in trying to get in trying to save money, getting a hotel. And then if the father or mother is a breadwinner, then that other person can participate with some cash. So everybody participates. And that's what I mean by relinquishing the control and, 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 you know, how do you say, sharing the responsibilities. (laughs) Well, and and what I like about the, specifically the vacation example is I think that can apply to a lot of people, whether you're in, you know, whether you're taking vacations to Europe or whether you're taking vacations down the street to, um, you know, a campground, it doesn't matter if everybody has a little bit of buy-in and is able to influence in some way and come together that's that seems like that team approach um not being the parent of any children i would imagine that team approach would be something that would make everybody happier on vacation because everybody kind of participated Um, but i also feel like there's some financial lessons in there as well now i i just want to ask one question i'm going to back up a little bit you said it's best to uh, focus on a a uh, third-party objective or something that doesn't directly relate to either partner. Can you say a little bit as to why you think that is and, and how you've observed that to be more helpful than maybe, I don't know, focusing on saving more money specifically, you know, so one partner can buy a boat or something like that? <laughs> yes. Um, actually, you just make me think about something, the financial freedom together. Why is it important that it's um, something that will benefit both and not just one? Is because they they need to work at it together to to see the power of a team. Uh, because if I tell my spouse that stop buying the furniture because I need to save for my retirement, that that's very egotistic of me. I have to say, you know, the furniture looks great, but. If we save that $2,000, then we can live in financial freedom a year ahead of time. You know what I'm saying? So 
to put the benefit to the couple and the families better than just making it personal. Oh, okay. So it's being, it's, it's more of a collaborative approach as opposed to, you know, if we go, I'm going to go very stereotypical, um, in terms of couplehood, right? So you have the man who's the breadwinner woman stays at home and he calls all the shots. And if he walks in and says, you know, we need to do this for retirement because X, Y, and Z, and they all relate the X, Y, and Z really relate just to him, um, that she's not going to have buy-in. Or you could do the exact same scenario where she's the primary breadwinner. So it's really about that collaborative approach. Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the collaborative approach is the one that works best because it's been proven. There's a study by the World Bank, and um, they did this study in Asia that they put the family member to learn financial education or do financial planning. And when one member is is present, there was a little bit of advancement in savings and, 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 and all those other things. When they put two members of the family, they increase in education, in absorption of the, of the topic, in savings was almost 20% higher. So I'm saying that because I want the world to be a better place, but also because statistics show that if you plan with more than one family member, you get to your objectives 20% faster um there there's an increase in savings there's an increase in in a lot of things even the quality of life increases and your health increases and your relationship increases so i'm definitely a advocate for family finances and so that's really interesting um there's not a lot of statistics out there that i haven't heard and that is one i haven't and that really is quite motivating to think if we work together we can actually save more if you're a saver <laughs> um, <laughs> it, which i am by temperament and training as well um, so that's really fascinating. Now, when you work with, um, say you work with parents around involving the kids, often I get questions around, well, how do I do this? And, you know, what if they want to take control or what if they, you know, think that they have an equal vote? Like, how do you work with all those family dynamics in the work that you do? Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, I've worked a lot with um, governance structures. It doesn't matter how many dollars, you, zeros you have to the right. You still need some policies and procedures for the family. So, as as easy as if you have a shared vacation home, who gets to use it? Or um, education? Do we pay for everybody's um, masters or bachelors? Or even philanthropy? Um, do we do we give the money? Do we care? Do we pay for the kids' health care? education so just like the united states has a constitution every family i think should have a constitution in a little way uh doesn't need to be so cumbersome as the u.s constitution but uh, policies and procedures definitely help a couple um have a governance structure and and stay together because a lot of couples as you know kathleen and uh, families they separate because of money issues uh, and that just breaks my heart which is really unfortunate. And what I, what I love about what you're saying about the governance, because often when I think governance, you know, it's a big fancy financial world uh, word, excuse me, and we think about um, ultra high net worth families and, and on a complicated level. And the way you're describing it, it, it strikes me that every family probably has policies and procedures. It's just they aren't necessarily printed or in writing. And that activity of being able to put down what are we going to put our family money towards um, and, you know, what are our different policies would be a really interesting discussion. Because I feel like every family has that, but often you don't know the rules and sometimes the rules change. Yeah, and, and, and there's a saying, and I can't think of the word right now, but um, there's an understanding, but it's never in writing. And you can make it really fun. You can make everybody sign for it. You can revise it every year. 
So it's an unspoken understanding, but if you put it in writing and you divide the responsibilities among your family members, it's great. I mean, it's just like, this is another podcast, I'm sure, but the marriage, you know, you renew your license every year, but do you renew your marriage every year? So I think... (laughs) I'm laughing so hard because on my anniversary, I do. I'm like, are you going to renew for another year? He's like, I am. I said, excellent. (laughs) But yes, I get your point. Most couples don't. I'm just making sure that he's staying around for the long haul. Yeah, but the reason why your marriage is so strong, I'm sure, uh, is because of understanding and writing procedures that you say, (laughs) you take the garbage and I'll, you know, I don't know, unload the dishwasher, whatever it is understandings it's not just expectations so understandings is better than expectations in in finance in planning in everything so if i love the idea of finance being fun and you raise the idea that families could do this in a fun way can you give us an example of how maybe a listener could do this um, on their own first in a fun way and then certainly how they might do this with an advisor yeah absolutely so now um when the holidays are coming or, or a birthday or something, they can, they can, you know, well, this is a fun way, plan the vacation and, and put a number, let's say $500, $1,000, whatever it is. And whoever gets to save will be able to either donate it or do something fun, another activity with it. So you can make, you can make finances fun by also saving for, um, for, for the monthly budget at the supermarket, you give everybody like if you have children that are little, you can give them the breakfast budget and you could say, hey, my budget is $50 every week. If you get to save, you know, $40, just not to take less, but just to be a little smarter about spending, then you get to keep that $10 and you could, you know, put it in your savings or buy a game or whatever. So learning about the value of money it has a lot to do with earning it it's very hard to teach the value of money if you don't earn it so you can be creative about earning time or earning other things well and i like the idea that it you know depending on their age and depending on the family situation it could be earning time it could be it just sounds like it's it's turning it into a game which we all know gamification makes a lot of things more fun in terms of learning and and helps it stick a little bit more. Now, for listeners out there who are like, oh, you know what, I have a financial advisor or I'm looking for an advisor or a planner, how might somebody do what we're talking about today with a planner? How might it be useful to have that third party there? Um, So if you have a financial advisor or planner um, and just bring the other person that is, is not in the meetings, Bring your your teenager. When I have financial programs and I encourage parents to bring children over the age of ten, um, I if I'm working with a with a, an individual, I encourage the person to bring their spouse uh, because sometimes when you when you hear pushback, um, sometimes you need the rest of the family to make the decision. So another day we can talk about decision making models about families and and who makes what decision and and when that that's important too but um yeah just just bring the other person encourage your client or encourage your your family to be participative to participate in that meeting in the annual checkup of your financial plan and i love that because it's so simple but it can be so hard to convince uh, the other person especially if they're not into finances or maybe don't understand that they have valuable input to get them in the room 
Um, but I think that, you know, certainly it sounds like with you and, and hopefully with other advisors out there that the agenda can shift to make sure everybody in the room is getting what they're needing as opposed to thinking, oh, I have to go sit through this meeting and it's going to be boring. Um, that I think one of the things that I've learned in our short time today is um, that, you know, family finances and controlling it together can be fun. And that might be the way we could reframe the myth um, that you came in with, that family finances should be managed and controlled by one person. That just seems ugh, boring. But the mm -hmm. idea of what you're talking about of of playing games and figuring it out and having people participate sounds like a, a really nice reframe. Um, do you have any other thoughts about how that might be reframed or what you, you want people to replace that myth with? Um, I think you should keep an open mind. And, and also, if you have a chance, just uh, do a SWOT analysis of strength uh, weakness, opportunities, and threats of the family. There's always ways to improve it. Um, and being on the table together, setting up a schedule together, um, respecting each other, um, and putting that structure increases the chances of, of staying as a family together. If you want to stay as in the family together, and I'm not just talking about the immediate family, I'm talking about the rest of the family, then start doing that today. And you could be the advocate for your own family. So... <laughs> Nice. Well, you know what? You really have um, raised some important issues around how do you can break money silence in your family, which is so important, Elaine. Um, because time always goes so quickly here, tell um, the listeners a little bit about where they can find out more about you and your work and your books. And then also, I know you have a special offer today for anybody who is listening in. Yes, absolutely. So if you go to my website, which is familyandmoneymatters.com, um, you can download a free chapter of my book called Family Money Matters. And if you call this month, which is, um, or in the next two months, then I can give you a 40% off my financial plan. So just, um, you could just reference um, Kathleen's podcast and I'll be happy to do the financial plan for you. No strings attached. And, um, and, and that's what I'm offering today. And I'm happy to serve you. Wow, that is a very nice offer to put out there, uh, Elaine, and we definitely will let people know, and I, I really appreciate that. Um, and so if anybody had questions or comments, they can certainly, um, Elaine is on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, um, she's very good on video, so you might want to check some of those out. And actually, your Twitter handle is Elaine King FP. I guess that's for financial planner, right? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> excellent. Well, listen, we will put all that contact information up when we post this podcast so people can get in touch with you and take advantage of those special offers. And as always, it's always so fun and enlightening to connect with you and to have these types of conversations. So thank you for um, busting this money myth today with me. No, thank you, Kathleen, for, for this movement you're making, Breaking the Money Silence. I really appreciate it. You're helping our industry a lot. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at BreakingMoneySilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.